0: 89777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: Pour yourself a cold one. They Strike them, huh? And listen to Russ Tucker break down the top college prospects on another tasty edition of The College Draft.
0: Yeah, it is Daddy Soda time here on the College Draft Podcast, presented by DraftKings, America's number one rated sports book app. By the way, you can still place a bet on tonight's national championship basketball game. I encourage you to do so if you want to make the game more interesting, although it's already going to be awesome. Baylor Gonzaga, I cannot wait. Speaking of Daddy Soda's, I may have gone six straight days with at least ten daddy sodas during my vacation to Utah last week. What an unbelievable week. What a great place that was. You can check me out always on social at Ross Tucker NFL. That's Twitter. That's Instagram. It's Facebook. All the shows are posted immediately to our YouTube page, YouTube.com slash Ross Tucker NFL NFL. And you can check it out at Ross Tucker Pod on social. Awesome conversation late last night, by the way, with Seth Payne. Ten years as an NFL D-tackle. Now he's been in Houston on Sports Talk Radio after playing five years for the Texans. We went in-depth first on the Deshaun Watson situation. Then we've got into run-stuffing D-tackles and their importance, which is something that Emory and I talked about last week, which is something obviously that Seth knows very well. Emory joins me as he does each and every week here on the College Draft Podcast. He is the man, Football Game Plan, at FBall game plan on Twitter, Football Game Plan on YouTube, and most importantly for this time of year, FootballGamePlan.com slash 2021 draft guide. And Emory, I saw... You got a chance to call a game this weekend. That's pretty cool, calling some, some spring football that's actually like not like a spring football game, like a real football game.
2: Yeah, a real football game that counts between two top 25, two undefeated teams uh, in Gardner-Webb and Monmouth. And what's so interesting about this thing comes full circle, head coach for Gardner-Webb, Trey Lamb. I remember scouting him when he was a quarterback at Tennessee Tech. He's 31 years old. So, And I interviewed his uncle, which is uh, you know, Bobby Lamb, who was the head coach at Mercer, uh, and now he's with my Louisiana Raging Cajuns coaching on that staff. So it all came back full circle, and it was good to call the game. I'll be back next week calling the ESPN Plus TV game, uh, Monmouth versus Kennesaw State. Excited about yeah. that.
0: That That is awesome. I, I recently found out April 17th, I'm calling the Patriot League Championship game. Bucknell has already punched their ticket. We'll see who comes out of the North Division of the Patriot League, but – they texted me while I'm on vacation. Hey, you want to call the a Patriot League championship game? Uh, Yeah. Are you kidding me? That would be amazing. I would love to do that. Just like I love having my buddy Kyle Krabs on. Anytime we can get him. He is my Reading, Pennsylvania homie. He went to Wilson West Lawn, absolute powerhouse high school. Chad Henney's high school. You can check out Kyle on Twitter. Love the Twitter handle, at Grinding the Tape. He's the director of scouting for the Draft Network, which is legit. If you don't know about the Draft Network, you do now at the Draft Network. But he also is a big-time Miami Dolphins fan. So, Kyle, before we even get into linebackers, because as usual, Emery's got rankings that nobody else has. I mean, he's got guys I never heard of. ahead of Micah Parsons. Okay? He so may go so off the reservation for like
1: Two guys for today. So, what's that? It, it he made me go out the reservation for two guys for today to make sure I could talk about them. So, that, that's as a testament to Emery and the depth that he does and the work that he does. Emery, you you have been a mentor for me for quite a while. So, it's pretty oh, cool I to have I
0: didn't even know you guys knew each other. Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. Costly saw Kyle on the road, man. And that was always a, a, what I liked about him, that. He was always out there. When you thought I was out there, Kyle was out there too.
0: Yeah, you guys might be the two hardest-working dudes in the draft community that I'm aware of. Kyle, like, I saw Kyle at a couple one double A games back in the day, be, like, all dressed up in a full suit, making me look – I'm the one on TV, and Kyle's making me look like a chump. And Emery's at every game I've ever been to. Emery, I'm, I, Emery will be at the Patriot League Championship game somehow, some way. He'll be there. Unbelievable. Uh But before we get into linebackers today, Kyle – I do want to ask because I don't know if you saw it, but was it last week? I think it was last week. I had Ryan Fitzpatrick on the Ross Tucker yeah. football podcast. Yeah. And he made some comments about Tua. I'm just curious. Like you you know how to study the tape, this is what you do for a living. You're also a diehard dolphins fan. It is really polarizing how
1: people feel about Tua right now. Where are you at? I'm still optimistic. Uh, but the transition that Tua Tagovailoa experienced going from Alabama to the Miami Dolphins, I, I think, was pretty eye-opening as far as just how good of a system, and, and that's what I'd call it—a system that Alabama has in there, uh, and their ability to, to really coach circles around a lot of teams, uh, regardless of, of being in the SEC. And everybody talks about the level of competition, and so for Tua. I think the big reason why it's so polarizing is because for Dolphins fans specifically, they were told for like 18 months, this is the savior to your franchise. This is the the only path to, to redemption as an organization. And you finally get him, and, and it feels like it's kind of like the football gods pull some strings for you for them to be there at five after they ended up winning five games when they were supposed to be tanking. And everybody's expectations just completely ran wild. And then this is the guy who everybody was told all this time is the guy who's going to bail out your team. And he gets pulled for Ryan Fitzpatrick in the fourth quarter of a couple of games. And it it really forced an emotional reaction of like, wow, either the, the Dolphins need to have faith in this guy because this is the guy who we've been told for so long is the answer or conversely. This is the guy that they told us was going to be the answer. He can't even keep Brian Fitzpatrick off the field. So I think once he, he, he talked a lot to a did about getting more comfortable with processing stuff, pre-snap and eliminating sides of the field and understanding systemically where he's supposed to go with the football based on defensive structures and alignments. And I think he wants, once, once he gets better and more proficient at the pre-snap stuff, which I know Fitz talked a lot about throughout the course of the year, stat and on a lot of the press conferences with the dolphins I think you'll see Tua play a little bit more naturally, uh, and I think he should experience a significant jump from year one to year two. Uh, but if you're expecting Tua to come in and, and be the left-handed version of Dan Marino and somebody's got a left-hand of, of God Twitter out there for, for Tua Valoa referring to him and the Dolphins, you were probably disappointed with what you saw last year.
2: You know what's interesting, and, and just to jump in quickly, it didn't also help that, you had Justin Herbert going off, and so that right. was like prime property for, for trolls to come in. That's like the corner three wide open. It's like, oh, <laughs> they could have had Herbert. They passed over. Like, so it's like, dang, they, they couldn't win for losing. Last year, it was just a crazy situation uh, for, for Tua, all, all considering things that, that was around him.
0: Yeah, you can almost, like, almost forget what even he did on the field. It's the combination of the Dolphins didn't, Tank. They ended up winning five games, so they didn't get Joe Burrow, right, who ended up looking really good until he got hurt. Instead, they got Tua, and he didn't look nearly as good as Justin Herbert, who was taken after him. Gets benched twice for Fitzpatrick. Meanwhile, Mac Jones is absolutely lighting up college football. So it's almost like even if you just put Tua's performance aside – there's all these other factors, right. and to your point, Kyle, which I think is a great one, it was almost like a movie that everybody told you was so great, and then when you started to watch it, you're like, eh, "It's all right. It's like a good movie. It's a good movie. It's not. It's not the Justin Herbert movie. Right. It's not this movie. It, it the movie was just okay. So Star Wars. Shots fired." So anyway, we shall see. I know Fitzpatrick meant that when he's on the Ross Tucker football podcast, he thinks two is going to be just fine. So uh, we'll see. He makes a good point, by the way. Like you think about, like Fitzpatrick as a rookie, he was terrible. You know, like the, the you know these guys are just judged so differently now. But Fitzpatrick's like, dude, he's a rookie. Yeah, like, I mean, that that. But when he was a seventh round pick, nobody knew about him. Nobody cared. It's just the difference of expectations, like the movie we were talking about. Speaking of expectations, the one thing I know, Kyle, every week with Emory here on the College Draft Podcast, his rankings are not going to be like everybody else's rankings. He does not care. He doesn't give a you-know-what. Your number one inside linebacker, I'll freely admit this, okay? I know a lot about Chaz Surratt and Micah Parsons and Zayvon Collins. And Notre Dame, I don't even know how to say the Notre Dame dude's name, but I know a lot about him because I've seen him. He can fly, he's athletic, you know, whatever. Jeremiah is his first name. But your number one inside linebacker, Garrett Wallow from TCU. Explain yourself, Emory.
2: His instincts were off the charts. And watching TCU defense, you just – first of all, you talk about Big 12 defense. You kind of go into it with a a negative mindset like – this dude is about to make a bunch of tackles seven yards down the field. Right. (laughs) Um, But this dude was actually making impactful tackles. His instincts were where it needed to be. He was able to play with both athleticism and quickness and explosiveness upon contact. He was always in the right spot. I thought he moved well for what you're going to expect him to do uh, at the pro level. So all those things being considered, he was making the right plays. He athletically matched up. I thought on film and so he was just consistent in every game I watched. And that's something that you really want to you know, hone in on is how consistent you are at the things you do well. And he didn't have many things that he didn't do well. So I just thought his tape was tremendous in that regard for that position.
0: All right, Kyle, what do you, what do you know and what do you think about this Wallow guy? Because it's, it's rare. I know Emery has different ranks than other people, but to have a guy ahead of Micah Parsons I've never heard of is
1: interesting. So what I really like about Garrett Wallow is you can tell he was the quarterback of that defense, right? And the communication that he had in the pre-snap, talking to his teammates and making checks. And Gary Patterson's defense is is not a simple one. They try and simplify it by kind of dividing the field into your front. In this 4 2 they'll divide the front, the read side of the field, and then the back side of the field as three separate entities with separate calls. And, and Garrett Wallow, when you're working effectively in a six-man box a lot of the times, uh, you got to make sure you're, everybody's in the right gap. And when you're in the Big 12, like Emery said, everybody spaces you out. Everybody plays, everybody plays offense. I love this ability to trigger an attack downhill, like Emery was talking about. As he's reading through the, the offensive line to the mesh point, and he's ready to attack. And when he flips the switch and decides, like, I'm going to attack the mesh point and get back there. He, he makes some really impressive plays. Um, I did think in the Texas game this past year uh, was a game in which there was some work over the middle of the field. Texas really spaced them out and it left them big time on an Island and kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, trying to play some QB spy on Sam Ellinger and also trying to do some coverage stuff in the middle of the field. But uh, that game wasn't his best showing. And, if you watched it first, it maybe it leaves a little bit of a taste in your mouth. But I think the intelligence dynamic for Garrett Wallow, and I think believe he was a three-star former safety recruit that ended up getting now down onto the second level, um, you like that athleticism, and, and that's something you should be able to work with with the way that the league is trending these days.
0: Your second one I think is interesting too, Emery, because Chaz Surratt and Micah Parsons, maybe, you have them both listed as inside backers. You know, Surratt, I guess I look at as like a 4-3 outside backer, run and hit type. Tell me why you have Surratt number two and why you have him listed as an inside backer. One, I
2: think when you look at what he does athletically and you remember that he was a quarterback at North Carolina, like, man, he matches up very well for what you're going to expect him to do at the pro level once again. And having those instincts of a quarterback you want that in the middle because now you can anticipate what's going on. You can understand what an offense is trying to do to you. So you're instinctually going to put yourself in the right position. You can reroute concepts. You know, when you drop into your zone coverage, you can match up versus running backs very well. You can pressure from the inside. I like all of those things about his game. When you put him on the outside, you're expecting a different animal. And I don't think he's there yet to play on the outside. The same which uh, I have, you know, reservations about Micah Parsons. I know he tested – you know, through the roof athletically. But from an outside perspective, I think he's best served playing that inside backer role, uh, probably that that old school, taller inside backer in a 3-4 defense as opposed to the outside. I know he wasn't asked to do a lot of rushing um, from the outside, but that's a skill that you have to have going into the league if you want to play on the outside. So I think his ability to, to really, you know, press the gas and hit downhill pretty quickly from a blitzing perspective on the interior is much more valuable for him as opposed to being on the outside. Plus, I think his instincts in space, they, they leave a lot to be desired. So right there in the middle, I think he could be best served to play uh, for a long time. I know the athleticism is is where it needs to be, but sometimes the instincts make you not look as fast or not as quick until we need to be out there in space. So that's why I have those two guys uh, right there in the middle. Plus, he didn't play this year, so we didn't get to see any growth. So you're trying to have projections. So I
0: saw rock play this year. I saw the growth. I like his potential. Let's start with Surratt, Kyle. Just your thoughts on Surratt from North Carolina. I did think it was interesting, by the way, that he played this year while his brother Sage, who I called one of his games, the wide receiver at Wake Forest, did not play. He opted out. I thought that was interesting that different brothers took different paths. What do you see from Chaz Surratt as a player?
1: Yeah, definitely a rangy, rangy player. And uh, I, I think Emery talking about his growth and – Anytime you get a player who's transitioning from a different position, especially coming to the defensive side of the ball, when you're a quarterback and you you understand defensive structure because it's a big part of what your job is on the offensive side of the ball, it helps you, A, make sure everybody's where they're supposed to be, and then, B, it also helps you from a preparation standpoint to understand what opposing teams are doing. And uh, I think Chaz, with his play this this past year, showed he can do a little bit more Uh than just being a guy who you put on the backside and has to use his speed and chase stuff down, you can kind of put him in the middle and trust that he's going to be able to understand all the action that's taking place around him. So from that dynamic with Chaz Surratt, I understand why that that appeal is there. Because for so many linebackers that are athletic, like Chaz Surratt, you're like their processing speed's not quite where you would want it to be. So everybody's answer for that is, oh, just put him at 4-3 Will and have him chase stuff down from the backside. Well, I don't I don't think you have to worry about that so much with Chad Surratt because of the football intelligence that he brings. But if I could, Ross, just Emory talking about pairing these two guys together. Emory, I'm not sure if you feel the same way, but you talking about Micah being that old school, kind of the thud guy coming downhill in the 3-4 defense. These two paired together would almost make like a perfect pairing in a fourth and a three-four defense to service your two guys because of their complementary skill sets,
2: exactly. And that's what you you normally get if you're a team like, um, let's say, like the Giants, who want to be long on the outside and explosive <clears throat> on the inside and, and protect themselves in coverage. Like you talked about, these two will probably be your best fit for your defense. And I think when you pair those two guys up, because one has length and is a great blitzer. The other one is very good versus the run, but also has the instincts and coverage. Um, You kind of get the best of both worlds, so I definitely agree.
0: Speaking of coverage, two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they are 35, yours truly included, not cool. More than 50 million men in the U.S. suffer from male pattern baldness. Look, here's the deal. There's only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss, keeps offers both of them i was taking both of them before i even heard of keeps one is a pill i take every morning the other is like a topical thing you know what it is you rub it on your bald spot in the back of your head anyway now i don't have to go to the drugstore to pick them up i don't have to go to the doctor to get a prescription i do it all online with keeps you do the online doctor consultation it's amazing and look you guys go back and look to podcasts from five years ago I have been keeping the hair I've got to this point. If you are ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash draft to receive your first month of treatment for free. Trust me, that's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash draft to get your first month free. Keeps.com slash draft. All right, so, Emery, I've got to hit this one last time before we move on to the outside backers. A lot of people think he's the best defensive player in the draft. You have him as the third best inside linebacker. What do you specifically not like about Micah Parsons? It's not
2: a not like about Micah Parsons. It's more so the fact that the other guys in front of him do things particularly well on a consistent basis. It's the instincts. It's, you know, seeing it before it happens and getting there as it's happening and making the play. I feel like a lot of what he does is reactionary. You want to see more instinctiveness coming from that, uh, coming from a player that's projected to be so high. Um, and he plays high at times, so you want to see better pad level. Uh, and so those things probably could have been solved had he played this year. But if you're projected to go high, I completely understand and agree with you for sitting out this year um, and will never have a, a issue with that. But that's what you saw on the tape that he did put out there in
0: 2019. What do you think of, of Micah, Kyle? Because the one thing I would point out, because he's from literally where I live. I, I've talked to him in, when he was in high school. He never played linebacker until he was at Penn State. He always had his hand in the dirt. So he's really, to your point, Emory, he only had two years being an off-the-ball backer seeing things like that. So you should project a lot of growth there. But again, he hasn't shown it. What did you see from him, Kyle?
1: Well, I think that that's the big thing with Micah Parsons is understanding that you know Chad Surratt played this year and, and showed a big leap for after having not played the position for a very long amount of time. Micah Parsons didn't get the opportunity to do that, and that was a decision that he chose was best for him, and you completely understand it. Like Emery said, everybody had a decision to make with the dynamics that were at play this year. Uh, the, the range of outcomes for Micah Parsons I think is – it's not like an open-and-shut case because he has only played two years of, of linebacker after being a, a pass rusher at uh, in, in the Harrisburg area. He was Bishop McDevitt, I believe. Central Dolphin and then, and then Harrisburg High. Harrisburg High, okay. So, and you even think about his pass rush profile. And, and at the Penn State Pro Day, he came in with arm length under 32 inches. So, like, it's not even like he has – great anatomical length for if you were going to use him there so I think his third down value is really going to come as a pressure player as a blitzer whether you're stacking him off ball and asking him to attack I think the more you can simplify the game for Micah early on the better results you're probably going to have but that's to Emery's point is is the physical talent is undeniable to be 245 and run 439 or whatever whatever it was and now, Penn State's a factory for phenomenal athletes, so it's not necessarily surprised that he has this all-world physical profile. But there's there's kind of like a spray chart of he can end up over here, or he can also end up over here. And if, if Emery is going to look at that evaluation and say, I don't know where on this range and spectrum he's going to land because I didn't get to see him play and make growth this year, then I understand why there's you know the, some of these all-world athletes have the potential. Uh to to really come back down to earth really hard when they make the jump to the pros, so if Emery wants to see it, he's justified in having apprehension I'd like to think in a scheme spe- or a, a specific role, somebody who has a specific idea for him, they can get three down value out of him early uh, but that's going to be the challenge is you really don't want to just ask him to play out in space and, and be a natural in coverage because I don't think he's there yet. So you have to, on third downs, use him playing forward, whether that's off the edge or stacked off the ball in blitz.
0: As for the outside backers, your number one ranked guy, Emory, I love this dude. I mean, every highlight I saw, he was killing people, game-changing plays. Zaven Collins from Tulsa, I think he's listed at like 6'4", 260. I'm sure you guys will tell me his pro day numbers or whatever. But that's like Leighton Van Der Esch, uh Esch, Tremaine Edmonds territory. What do you like about the kid from Tulsa, Emory? Yeah, that's, that's
2: classic biggest dude on the screen territory, like when you watch Tulsa play defense. Um, and he's just like, you know, Anthony Barr is another one. Um, when you look at a guy like Collins, you instantly think pass rusher. But no, that's not his game. He's an a inside backer. He's almost like Carl Banks in that regard, someone that you can stack inside, allow him to, to, you know, drop in coverage, allow him to blitz. Um, he's another one of these guys that could play sandbacker. He could play weak side. He could play, you know, inside backer in a three, four. So he's versatile enough to play across the front, uh, has great instincts, ball skills, and the athleticism for someone so big to where you can trust him out there on all three downs in any situation.
1: How about you, Kyle? Yeah, I think, I think emory has got him pegged really well. Uh My, the one concern that I had with Zavin, and I think his versatility will help him in this regard, was his ability to deconstruct blocks at times. He's 260, but he doesn't necessarily always play with that kind of power in his hands in addressing blocks when offensive linemen are climbing up to him on the second level. So for him to have the instincts and, and range in space that he does, I think it will really help him find ways to stay impactful instead of, Having to play inside the fumble, so I like that Emory has him listed as an outside linebacker. Whether that's a guy who you're going to use in hybrid, walking up on the line of scrimmage on under fronts or on the backside and, and just playing a lot of coverage and zone coverage, but he sees stuff really, really well. And to be a, a guy who can play in space at two fifty seven, two sixty, whatever he is, and uh, Ross, I do feel obligated to tell you, I think he ran four six seven since he talked about pro day numbers <laughs> um, at, at that size is a testament to kind of a guy who can play in any kind of system. And those guys who have universal appeal, doesn't matter whether you run odd front, even front, you play man-to-man coverage, you play zone, uh, he's going to check the boxes. So that's gonna, that should lead for a lot of demand for Zayvon Collins.
0: It's kind of interesting to me that we go from a 260-pound outside backer to another guy that's like 210. Uh, how do you say it, Jeremiah owusu karoma um, I might have butchered that the Notre Dame kid, I, single digit kid, fun watching him. Um, but he's like 50 pounds less than your boys, Zayvon Collins. Emery, you have him in the same category, it's kind of funny, yeah. And
2: and uh, you know, it's Cora Moore, I you know, trust me, I had to work on that myself. Uh, doing a lot of Georgetown games, I got extensive experience in these hyphenated last names and of such. So, uh, when you look at him and how he plays, he reminds me a lot of what I saw last year in Akeem Davis Gaither out of uh, App State, who is built the same way, but he doesn't play like he's 215. He's a guy that you can match up across the board. He can match up in the slot. He can match up versus backs and tight ends. He can pressure very well. He's uh, good in the open field. He's athletic. So I know some people may see him as a strong safety. To me, nowadays, strong safety, you know, sandbacker, big nickel backer all that's just the same right you want him out there on defense because he he's athletically able to match up and play and because of that and that versatile skill set you can see him carried number two down the seam you can see him get out there on the, on the boundary and wall guys off and, and one-on-one coverage so he can do a lot of things that's why he graded so high for me
1: kyle and then he's playing he's playing coverage in the slot, and he's triggering on slant routes and undercutting slants against Clemson and, and stripping the ball out of guys' hands. So, yeah, it's Emery talking about him and his perception as potentially a strong safety. And this is a guy who's going to play on all three downs. And if you want to play base defense, you can put him on the second level. You want to go sub, play him out in the slot. I think he played the majority of his snaps this past year. Uh, out on the hash in the slot and and a guy who can play in space. And then you get to third and and 10 or or third and seven plus, and you want to line everybody up on the line of scrimmage and bring heat. And he can scream in off the edge because he's got a really explosive first step. So teams who like to move pieces around are really going to love him because, you know, whether a team comes out in 12 or 11 personnel, he can, take those snaps and either play out against a slot receiver, or he can play in the box and have the physicality and aggressiveness. And the biggest thing for me with him is, is just that first step quickness and explosiveness that he has. And you, know, you watch the Clemson game this from this past year. And that was a game in which his, his impact was felt all over the field and he sniffs you out. Florida state was another good one where he, I mean, he's smacking dudes. He's two ten to but he will smack the taste out of your mouth. And for a guy who's, not big as a linebacker, but has that kind of hit stick ability. I really appreciate that dynamic of a guy who you would look at and be like, oh, yeah, cool, it's small linebacker. No, he do not play small.
0: Before we get to the last guy that you had listed, Emory, because I, I thought it was interesting, not the last guy, the third guy, but the last guy we're going to talk about. I should mention this week, it's a tradition unlike any other. Augusta, Georgia, competing for the coveted Jacket. Here's all you need to know. Take a dollar, go to DraftKings Sportsbook if you haven't yet. You can win $100 if any golfer you pick finishes in the top 10. Just make sure you use the code ROSS to turn $1 into $100 at DraftKings Sportsbook. Pretty awesome. That way, when you're taking your Sunday afternoon nap, you can wake up and see whether or not you win the 100 bucks or not. So uh, the last guy you have listed as outside backer, I, I should have mentioned this last week, Emery, when we were on with John Ledyard. You didn't have Aziz Ojolari from Georgia listed as an edge guy. You have him listed as an outside backer. That surprises me. Why is that?
2: I see him more as a sandbacker than anything. When you talk about edge, I think it, uh, in terms of edge, I'm thinking twitchy guy. I'm thinking explosive guy. I'm thinking a guy that is a pressure-style player. I see Ojolari as a guy that, you know, he he's solid, but I see him more as a sandbacker. And you can still pressure with your sandbacker. Most teams still do, but I see him more as a uh you know, as a edge setter and someone that plays the run well. He has to develop a variety of pass moves to be considered a true edge, in my opinion. Um now his one move is, is has been effective, but I just see a guy that's um, you know, he he's more along the lines of what I see as an as an outside backer as opposed to a true pass rusher.
1: What did you see from Ojolari, Kyle? I think Emery has a great point as far as his versatility as a rusher is something that needs to be fleshed out. So I think from a a developmental perspective, probably the three-year projection on Ojolari, you can uh, probably peg him to a lot of teams and, and be more of a robust pass rusher. Uh, But early on uh, he's a guy who, who has some nice stiffness in his hands to, to really jolt pads and, help control the line of scrimmage. So I saw him fairly similarly. I do have him classified as an edge because if I'm looking at a more long-term projection for him, I think he has the the physical stills to be able to take that kind of role on with more development. But if you're just looking at the, the product that he is now, uh, he's not a guy who consistently turns the apex of the, of the pocket on his outside rushes and flattens. Uh, so he needs to win with that first step quickness. And if he gets off the ball, he does it just fine. Uh, but if and, and the Florida game was a good example, Stone Forsyth, the offensive tackle there, uh, really handled him fairly well as far as not letting him claim wins off that outside edge. So he needs to build out more counters in order to get there. So for me, I do have him classified as an edge, looking at a, a three-year projection for him as compared to just where he is now. But Emory does have some pretty valid points here about what he is now where he can help your team in year one. And, you know, it's no guarantee that players are going to develop the things that we haven't seen from them on tape.
0: Emery, you can talk about one of your sleepers. You got one from Central Methodist, one from British Columbia. I don't even know what college that is. And one from Concordia, St. Paul. You get to pick one of them. Go. Yeah, I'm going to go with Marquez
2: Daniels. Uh, his I watched one game. First play, he had a tremendous pass breakup in the slot. Second play, pick six, and it was like, man, this dude is ridiculous. Six so three, two forty five. He was a highly touted recruit, JUCO recruit. Was supposed to go to Arizona State, didn't. Ended up at Central Methodist. So athletically, he matches up well. He'll get into a campus surprise up.
0: I love it, Kyle. You ever heard any of these guys that Emory had as the sleepers?
1: I have not, and I'm probably. I do want to just give a quick shout to a sleeper real quick. He's. I don't know how much of a sleeper you can play when you play in the SEC, but I really like Ernest Jones, the linebacker from South Carolina, as a guy who uh, can really thump against the run. He's pretty explosive. He's big. He's long. I had a chance to see him up close uh, down in Fort Lauderdale for the uh, House of Athlete combine that that Brandon Marshall put on. I had a chance to go down, and he tested there. and He was over 10 feet in the broad, and he looks like a, a an NFL linebacker. So not quite off the radar like Emery does, but that's why – Emory is one of the best. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Ernest Jones real quick.
0: I like it. I like it. I've heard Ernest Jones name. Uh, check out Kyle at grinding the tape on Twitter at the draft network is where he does all of his stuff. If you're a Dolphins fan, he's all over whether it's the Dolphins wire locked on fins. The key, though, is if you follow him on Twitter at grinding the tape, you'll be able to see all the stuff Kyle has going on. Obviously, you guys know Emory's where it's at with the draft guide. He's doing a terrific job with it. It's out. I have it. I check it out all the time. Footballgameplan.com slash 2021 draft guide. Terrific job, fellas. Other than that, the keg is kicked. We are all tapped out. Thanks for listening to the College Draft Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and The Business of Sports. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found. A lot of times on the show, I mention DraftKings. Here's what you need to know. you got to be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 100 gambler or in Indiana, one 800